Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Revelation 1, 7 through 9, New Living Translation. So let me start out with three observations and one clarification. Observation number one, insight into speakers. We're all coming in a group. We're seeing what Japheth has done to us in the lineup. Those of us who are not Sam and Alex cringe to think that we might either follow them or be sandwiched between them. As I looked, I saw names that I knew or didn't know. Local people. Yes. Observation. Who are you people? Oh, it's my first sermon. Are you kidding me? I've been doing this 32 years and you trumped me, all of you. Either you're writing for, for Japheth or Japheth's writing for you, but there's something going on at this church. Observation number two. Thank you, Stacy, for telling me how toxic Loma Linda is. <laughs> I already have asthma from it. I know where I live. And to add to it, you gave me the joy of saying, but don't worry, you'll live there six years longer. Thank you. Like I want to live in that six years longer. Third observation. Japheth sent out an email. Which topic do you want to talk on? I looked through them. I had other ones to choose. For some reason, my mind said, oh, I'll do the end. Not thinking that that would probably be where I was placed in the lineup after hearing how many sermons, six, seven, it's warm in the afternoon, I forgot you don't have AC here, you all ate too much for lunch, and now me. And now clarification. Yes, I am wearing a suit. It is not a black suit. It is a charcoal gray suit. No, I am not a secret plant from the general conference. I am not doing a wedding immediately afterwards and just thought I'd save time. And I'm not doing a funeral, although if the sermon's bad enough, hey, I might be ready for you. We can jump into it. I got this suit. Japheth told me to tell you this. I got this suit almost two years ago when the one project was in uh, Christchurch, New Zealand. And we had time to shop, and I went to the container in, like, truck containers, everything fell down in the earthquake. So they have a container mall. I went there, and this young woman talked me into this suit. I was susceptible to her wiles. She said, oh, that looked great on you. But we don't have your size, but you could fit this one. No, I couldn't. For two years, I couldn't. But I always looked at it. So recently, I've tried to change my lifestyle and actually exercise and sleep and eat right. And I thought, I wonder... And I tried it on right before I came. And so in a moment of vanity, realizing it fit, I said, I don't care if it's 110. I'm wearing my suit. The black suit. So just a brief moment of prayer and we'll continue. Lord, it's been such a rich, full day. 
So many things shared. So many mind explosions and popping of insights and wisdom. And Lord, good food, laughter, warm days. And the end is here. Please help me to speak clearly and help people to hear what you want them to hear from me. In your name, amen. I was just graduating from PUC, yes, a long time ago. I hadn't been hired yet, praying that the phone call would ring and some conference president would deem me a proper pastor. I was also finishing up two years of working with a local church uh, that my wife and I worked with to try and earn brownie points so someone would hire us. And under the mentorship of Elder Jim Pogue and his wife Lola Jane, they were entering over 40 years of ministry together, which took them to the mission fields and places all over the United States pastoring. And that man put me through the rigorous training of what it really meant to be a pastor. School didn't teach me, he did. It was just about to end. I'm full of all this wisdom and knowledge of leadership and committees and sermon years and all this wonderful thing. And my wife, brilliant as she is, as all women are, much more than men, I, I recognize it, asked Elder Pope this question. She said, Elder Pope, I really want to help and be a good wife and a teammate to Terry in ministry. What's the best thing we could do as a pastoral couple? It caught my ear. I'm listening. He paused, and this is what he said. Love the people. Just love the people so they can see how much Jesus loves them. And I didn't listen to him, and I quickly went to my plans of church growth and whatever else and kingdom building. But I'm now in my ministry over 30 years, and I've discovered what Elder Pogue said is exactly right. It's about Jesus. It's about his love. It's about the gospel. That with Jesus, it isn't about a past, and it isn't about the future. It's about the ever-present now. Jesus said his name is I Am. And so his story and our story isn't about focusing on the end of it, but living the now of it. For when it comes to the gospel, the beginning is the ending. So how's it been going for you on Facebook? I knew it was coming. With all the shootings, with all the rioting, with all the terrorist attacks around the world, I waited, and sure enough, it started popping up like weeds in my yard. I told you so. Buy my book. It's coming. The prophetic charts. No, this one is right. No, the signs are here. Run to the country. I have a condo you can buy for $2,000 with, with organic watering or whatever else. It just started popping up. Boom, 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 boom. And I mean, well... I shouldn't be so upset about that because isn't that who we are as Seventh-day Adventists? I mean, isn't that part of who we are, the second coming? Our reason is end-time prophecy? I mean, come on. We know Satan's, what, we, we have his game book. We know what's coming. We, we can share. We, this is our moment, folks, as a remnant. Our job is to proclaim what's up and then get out of town, bunker down in our spiritual nuclear bomb shelters and hopefully survive until Jesus comes and it all blows over. 
Some people focus on the conspiracies and the plots. They slice and dice the vials and trumpets and numbers and beasts. They proclaim that judgment has begun. The wicked of the world, those definitely other than us, are reaping what they've sowed. They're getting just what they've deserved in a strange way. In a strange way. Tragedy and mayhem bring us joy. Because it means that Jesus just has to come this time. As if somehow humans want Jesus to come more than he does himself. They proclaim that our prophetic birthright and sole purpose for existence stems from the three angels' message in Revelation 14. And maybe it would do well for us to do just a really brief review of what those angels had to say. In Revelation 14, the first angel comes along. Mighty angel with a loud voice, powerful message. And what was he carrying? The everlasting gospel. The good news to proclaim to the world, God is God. And the good news story demonstrates that Satan lied in the garden. God is love. Then angel number two, what was it? Oh, that was a dirty trick, wasn't it? You're like, huh, what? What was angel number two? Babylon has fallen. Yeah, all the false systems of the world fail and fall. Angel number three, Satan and all who choose to follow him lose. Evil is eradicated from the universe. It's important to note something, that in Revelation 14, message number one is a message, and angels two and three are just telling what happens when the fulfillment of message number one comes. Evil falls, God wins. Well, just what is the everlasting gospel? What is the good news? What is this thing we're supposed to proclaim? And I thought, okay, how am I going to condense this? So here's, here's my attempt. Are you with me? You picked the end spot. That's what you get. All right, here we go. Jesus came. Jesus lived. Jesus loved. Jesus forgave. Jesus healed. Jesus died. Jesus rose. Jesus calls us to love and look like, live like him. Jesus won, and so do we. And why did, were these angels given this message? Revelation 14, 12. Do we have that one? Yeah, there it is. Revelation 14, 12 tells us clearly, let this encourage God's people to endure persecution patiently and remain firm to the end. Obeying his commands and trusting, trusting in Jesus. If this is the ending, perhaps it would do us well to look at the beginning. And what am I talking about? This first angel messenger isn't the only one commanded to carry the everlasting gospel to people who belong to this world, to every tribe, every nation, every language and people. Have you heard that before? Those are the very words that Jesus spoke to his followers before he ascended to heaven and to his Father. It's what we call, and what was mentioned earlier, the Great Commission, the launch of the kingdom now established by the resurrection. It's vital, vitally important that we underscore the fact that it's retold by multiples of the gospel writers. When the gospel writers tell a story more than once, it's important. Spirit wants us to know what's going on. So a quick review. 
Hang on, we're reading them. Matthew, let's start with him. Matthew 28. This is the one that we usually quote and read. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, because of that, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As Jessica was talking about discipleship, followership. Well, what did Mark have to say? Mark says it, but he gives a little twist. Look at this one. Mark 16. And then Jesus told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. The, and look what he says here. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They'll cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. They will drink anything poisonous. They will survive fellowship dinners. Wait, that's not in there. Sorry. It won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick. They'll be healed. And Luke, Luke chimes in, in Luke 24. And Jesus said... Yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are my witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. And for good measure, Luke continues in the book of Acts. Acts 1, verse 4. Once when Jesus was eating with them, he commanded them, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, uh, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Is it happening now? The apocalypse? The final? The end? And look what Jesus says. I find this one really curious. Jesus replied, look, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not for you to know. Why don't we ever read that one? I don't know. Anyway, verse 8, but you... This is what I want you to know. Yeah, leave that alone. That's for God to know. But this is what I want you to focus on, Jesus is saying. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Put them all together, and what do you come up with? Jesus is inaugurated as a rightful ruler of the universe. The beginning of the kingdom and the kingdom of heaven and earth reunited again. The angel of the Garden of Eden puts down his sword. We're one with God again. Also, it means we're citizen followers of the kingdom, and our job is to give good news to help the world know that they are followers and can be followers of Jesus. And then this one. We are to speak in whatever language the world needs us to. Hmm. Heal the sick, cast out demons, 
raise the dead, be impervious to poison and peril. And Jesus wants us to remember everyone can be a part of the kingdom. You judge yourself. Want to be in, you're in. If you don't, it's not for us to say who's in and who's out. We're to follow and live Jesus' commands. What is to obey the commandments? He said, love. Love me, love God, love yourself, love other people, love. And the best one, Jesus said he never leaves us. He doesn't leave us when we turn our back on him and spit in his face. He doesn't leave us when we make wrong choices, purposefully. He doesn't leave us when we walk into the theater. He is ever present with us, even to the end. We're never without Jesus. But all this happened up until this point was setting the stage for the beginning, the launch. That's why Jesus kept telling them, look, hang out. You're not ready to take off yet. He ascends to heaven. He becomes, he's enthroned by the Father. And then kapow, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit comes. Look what uh, Luke says in Acts 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At the time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, this wind and this rushing sound, everybody came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own language being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are from Galilee. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. What's the importance of Pentecost? All that Jesus sought to establish in his ministry. All that the cross rectified and enabled, all that the resurrection empowered was in place for his followers to reclaim the world for him. William Johnson, in his book that was already mentioned today, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, his message and his passion, second volume, page 190, said, it was a vivid, personal demonstration that the risen Lord had sent the gift that he promised a new era had begun, the age of the Spirit. I like that, the age of the Spirit. What happened to Pentecost? What happened to that age of the Spirit? What has happened to us, Jesus commissioned once? I was at my first church. I hadn't even gotten yet to, to seminary. I was really green, man. This is right after undergraduate. I went to my first church. I was an associate pastor, and a dreaded, horrible thing happened. My senior pastor left for three weeks and made me in charge. Ha! Huh. I had to preach. Can you imagine? Three times. Once each week. I about died. But I felt confident. He felt confident, so evidently I was okay. And everything was going along just fine. Until... A moment happened. I had gone to visit this family before. The mother and the two teenage daughters, they were from um, a nation in South America. 
English was a second language, had come. Husband never came to church. The husband was a hard man, hard to live with, hard drinking, hard on his family. And she had heard my story and my background, and she had told her husband about my testimony, where I was, and she said, is that all right if that pastor comes? And he said, yeah, he can come. Let me come. And I went, and when I visited the man, I was ushered into the bedroom, and there I was shocked what I saw. I saw a green man. He was green, with a bloated stomach that couldn't be covered. He didn't have clothes to cover it, the size of being nine months pregnant. He had something wrong with his liver. I don't want to know what it was. I hope to never have that. I think it had to do with cirrhosis. He was in bad shape. And I talked with him. And he listened to me. And he's like, yeah, yeah, okay, later. And I left. I received a call during this time of me being the guy in charge. It was the oldest daughter. Pastor, pastor, please come quickly. My father's been taken to the emergency room. And, and my mother and my sister and I are here. And she, my mother said to tell you, please come hurry. So I quickly got ready, and I got my car, and I grabbed my Bible, and while I was driving there, I said, okay, okay, what do I do? Which promise? I need a promise. I need a promise. Uh, uh, And I'm trying to sort through this panic, because this is the first time I've done this on my own. And I get into the emergency room park and rush in, and there are the two daughters seated over in the waiting room, and they were crying, and the oldest daughter came up to me, the youngest stayed seated, and said, Pastor, you're too late. My father just died. My mom's in the back there in the room with him. Oh, okay. Recalibrate. Death, promise, resurrection. Okay, I'm ready. And the younger daughter, she, she told her younger sister, go get mama. Go tell mama. So as I was preparing mentally for mom to come, mom rushed out. She blew through those doors, boom, and she ran over to me, all, all under five feet of her, and I was expecting her to calmly do something, and she ran over, and she grabbed me by the lapels and pulled me down, boom, like this, I'm like, oh, and she looked me in the eyes, and she goes, pastor, you are a man of God. You believe in God's word. My husband just died. His body's still warm in there. Go in. We need him. I need him as a husband. My children need a father. Go resurrect him from the dead. What? I panicked. I never took resurrection 101. I was never trained to do that. This woman wanted me to go raise her husband from the dead. And I stood there hunched over, staring in her eyes, frozen. I wish to tell you that I went in and did that. You probably would have heard about it if I did. But I didn't. I came up with something. I don't even remember what I said. Something about, yes, Jesus will resurrect him. You'll see him again. Something. And she just slumped and let go of me and cried. And I tried to comfort her and leave. But for 30 years, more than 30 years, that question has never left me. Why didn't I try? Well, I've had people tell me, well, why would you try? Of course you wouldn't try. I mean, I was trained with the understanding, you know, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's okay, but, you know, the Holy Spirit was really about a time when people were like, it was talked about, you know, Sam shared illiterate and fearful and, you know, and, and mystical miracle things. And it was a way for God to talk to people, but now we have reason and 
we understand scripture and theology and you know well yeah miracles do happen in primitive places in the world that haven't advanced yet uh, yeah once or twice you'll hear it in desperate dark places of the civilized world but you know we that's that's milk of the bible we we need to get onto the meat and i bought it but that's not why i didn't do it you want to know why i didn't do it bottom line is because I was afraid it wouldn't work and I'd look like a fool. We as Adventists believe in the Holy Spirit. We talked about it today. The Spirit is fixed in our theology. We're always praying for the latter reign of the Holy Spirit, but our actions and our words reflect a weariness at best of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's power and gifts commissioned to us. We didn't start out that way, did we? In fact, we claim legitimacy of being a church through the supernatural gifts of the Spirit and the manifestations in Ellen White as proof of our legitimacy. But over time, and the influence of the modern era's focus on science and reason, we, we distance ourselves from those things. The res results are that we focused on the things we can handle. Discerning prophecies, defining end times, scenarios, proving our positions theologically. And so what's wrong with that? Well, and this is vitally important, focus is everything. Focus is everything. A sailor knows that if his compass reading is off by just one degree when he starts sailing to his destination, by the end of his journey, he will have missed his destination by hundreds of miles. You see, what we focus on in our beliefs determines how we travel our spiritual journey and how we live along the way. Did you get that? You know, let's go back to that gospel commissioning. I know it's the end of the day. I know it's warm. But did you catch who I didn't say wrote about the Great Commission? John. When I was going through this, I go, hey, 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 wait. And I kept looking through the Bible like I missed it. And it's not there. And I thought, wait a minute. What? Why didn't John, you know, you go to the end of John's gospel and he just goes, they went out fishing, stranger on the shore. Hey, did you catch anything? No, we'll throw it on the other side, fish up. Hey, it's Jesus. Peter dives in, swim to shore. Jesus had a barbecue of tofu fish ready and going, not anyway and, and they came to shore and Peter gets recommissioned and he ends it I'm thinking hey whoa 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 this is this is John the beloved the number one the one Jesus loved the one that got Jesus did you just kind of forget about it didn't it mean anything to him wasn't it important to him but here's what I believe in, in, in looking for today and study for it I believe that the last book John wrote is John's recording of the Gospel Commission. And it's important for us to remember that the full title of the book is what? The book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why are we just focused on the revelation? It's about Jesus. You see, to John, the beginning is the ending. What was the state of things when John wrote the letter? Bad things. Sam was pointing it out. Bad things were happening to Christians. There's a massive persecution at the hands of the pagan beast, Rome. This is mirrored persecution at the hands of the false prophet, 
Judaism. Most of the followers of Jesus are running for their lives. And all the other apostles, those who were the first called by Jesus Christ, are dead. Peter, dead. James, Andrew, Philip, Tom, all dead. Even the apostle Paul, all dead. All gone. John is alone. The only one left. Sometimes living the longest isn't the best thing. An old man banished to the Rock Island prison of Patmos, jutting out of the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And he's alone on Sabbath. Where's Eliah? Eliah, worshiping. Come on, man, give me an amen. What's that smile? Never at the end again. Never at the end. And then something wonderful happens. I've read this. I don't know how many times I've read this thing. But it struck me this time. I want to share it with you. Revelation 1, 10 through 18. It was the Lord's day. And John says, I was worshiping in the spirit. In the spirit. And suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like, like a trumpet blast. Just boom. And it said, Write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was, it was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in the furnace. His voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like I was dead. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're out there worshiping on a rock, and boom, and you turn around and see that. And he fell down on his face. Pause for a minute. I read this, and I go, wait a minute. I, I, I read something like this before. Wait, somewhere in the Gospels. What? Wait a minute. Something in the life of Jesus. We've been here before. And I fell out of the feet like I was dead, but he laid his right hand on me. And said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in the grave. Something wonderful and wonderfully familiar happens to John. The trumpet-voiced, mighty, majestic being reaches out and touches him. And John knows that touch. Oh, it was a touch so many times that was shared with him from Galilee to Golgotha. It was a touch that lifted him up at the Mount of Transfiguration. It was a touch that comforted him at the Last Supper. It was a touch that embraced him after the resurrection in those words. Oh, those words, those beautiful, familiar words and voice. Don't be afraid. It's me. It's Jesus. And then Jesus tells John, write down what you've seen, both the things that are happening now and the things that will happen later. And he told John to write down what our focus as followers in his kingdom is to be. He was told to write his revelation of Jesus, that Jesus is in the middle of his people, that Jesus 
knows what we are facing and what we need, and he'll provide it. That Jesus won at the cross and resurrection, and we went too. And that we don't need to be afraid. Look, Jesus says in Revelation 3, 20 on, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying this. Stop and listen. I'm not pounding on the door, just gently knocking. Pause and listen. I'm not shouting or commanding, just softly asking to come into your heart and mind and life. Open up. You don't have to come out to me. I want to come into you and live through your moments with you, the good and the bad. Soon, we'll go to the Father's place, and I'll open the door, and we will laugh and feast together. Oh, and there's room for everyone. Don't leave any out, anyone. You don't have to wait behind locked doors, cowering in fear and anxiety over the things happening all around you. Be bold. Lean into me, and then we will lean into life together. We'll journey together and invite all we meet to join us as we head to the Father's party together. The book of Revelation starts with the important things first. The rest, the scenarios of last things, they're just road signs pointing to the closeness of our destination, the second coming, the earth made new. And those are Jesus' words, not mine. Let's go back to John. And I, John, saw another angel flying through the heavens carrying the everlasting good news. Jesus came. Jesus lives. Jesus loves. Jesus forgives. Jesus heals. Jesus died. Jesus rose. Jesus calls us to love and live like him. Jesus commissioned us to share that good news story. Jesus won, and so do we. Because you see, the beginning really is the ending.